Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter. And you're listening to Grow on the Go. How you doing? Guess. <laughs> Everyone guess. I'm Everyone guess. I'm so tired all the time. I feel badly. I'm sure I sound completely disinterested in the world around me because I'm always tired. But the reality is I'm just tired. And also, this is a tangent before we even got started, um, a lot of uh, depressed and generally mentally ill people... Um, use tired as a stand-in for whatever they're feeling because it's just a lot to go into. Oh, so okay. I actually am very tired, yeah, but which, it's probably which, also... Which is a symptom of depression. Of depression, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> how are you? Yeah. Depressed. I am also tired because I am still looking after my grandson who can't go to the day home because he's sick. He's got a sick pants on. And today he decided that he he was not going to participate in his first nap. And Which is honestly a fatal <laughs> error. I wish I could take every nap I ever complained about taking. Yeah, and so that meant I didn't get to have my quiet time today. And then the second nap, 45 minutes in, mm-hmm. my husband came home and the dog decided he was an intruder and barked like a mad fiend. Which is wild, because he's mm. lived here longer than the dog's been alive. Yeah, I, yeah, and then so Jude woke up and that was the end of that nap, which I thought was going to be a really long nap because yeah. he skipped the first nap. So basically I got very little done. You did get to hang out with your... I did, and he's your very, buddy. very cute. Although he's when so he's cute. missed two naps, he's not his best. No... But I something that's really struck me, someone who's never had children, or really even anyone like super close to me's had children. Like my cousins have had kids, but like I, <laughs> they've very much been of the kind of like they start crying and I'm like, oh no, your baby's broken. Here you go, <laughs> kind of relationship. I've never had to weather the shrieking, <laughs> but I found that I really thought I would like get super panicky. And again, this is for like six hours tops. Not, not like, days and days and days. Mm. Um, but I found that, like, I don't know. When it's, when it's like, your baby, and it's not my baby, but, like, my baby by proxy. Uh, I'm sure Kendall would hate that, but... No, but it's your nephew. Yeah, my nephew. And I found the same thing. I didn't think I was maternal at all until my sister had her first baby. And oh, then okay. it was like, oh, my baby! Well, yeah, and so, like, when he's crying and shrieking, like... First of all, I can tell usually the difference between I'm genuinely unhappy and I'm bored and complaining, Mm -hmm. uh, which is exciting. (laughs) And it also doesn't panic me. I'm just like, I know, buddy. I get it. I I don't know how to help you. Yeah, Yeah, it it really doesn't bother me, which is is very... Well, I mean, like, I don't love it. It doesn't make me feel great when he's screaming, but but it doesn't panic me like I thought it would, which is nice, because most things panic me. (laughs) Well, and the more time I spend with him, the more I kind of get what he needs. Yeah. Yeah, you you figure it out, and that's how it is when you have your own kids too. You just you just know you get to know each other. Yeah, and that's how you figure it out. Well, and Jude, the little genius, um, and I'm sure lots of parents do this, but I'd never seen it before um, as a not parent, and I don't know that you'd seen it before as a parent of quite a while ago. Um, 
Yes, well, you are my baby, and you're 28. And I'm 28, so, so you're ancient. Um, the, nice. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, flattery is a gift of mine. Um, he, my sister Kendall and Mike have taught him some very basic, rudimentary uh, American Sign Language. So he can communicate with them when he's all done or when he wants more. Mm-hmm. Um, but even at that level, Kendall insists that he say please. He can't just sign more. He has to sign more please. Um, which is genius. You're communicating with a, your child in a way that they can communicate mm-hmm. um, before they can speak, which, wow, that makes it easier. Like, he he can tell you when he's done eating. Yeah. say, all done. Yep. But with his hands. Yep. Which is and I know he gets it because I'll say to him, "Are you all done?" And then he does. And then he the does it. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Um, well, and he'll sign more with no prompt. Kendall won't ask him if he wants more. Mm-hmm. He'll ask for more, and then she'll go, "I see, I see more. Can you uh, can you say please or can you sign please?" Mm. Um, which is very cute. And I'm like, "That baby's smarter than me. <laughs> what a genius little baby!" Because it never really occurred to me that they could get mm. communication. Yeah, I figured, like, if you're not, and this is terribly um, uh, ableist uh, that I'm just realizing as I'm about to say it, but I kind of figured for children, like, if you're not verbal, uh, then you don't understand the communication. But, of course, that's not true. No. And, you know, it comes down to multiple intelligences, right? Like, Jude is not... um, He's a man of few words, and like he, you, he makes noise, but you were singing whole songs by the time you were his age. I'm pretty At sure. One, you think so? I don't know. It was, it was really early, but um, you know, you are extremely verbal. I always have been. <laughs> Kendall's quite verbal too, uh, but not not, not, as not baby. the way you were. No, no, <laughs> no. You were unique, my Never my child. Learn to shut up. La la la. <laughs> Great. Anyway, we are going to talk today about taking the high road. Mm. Yeah. Um, There are times when we all have various forms of conflict in Mm -hmm. our lives. Um, And each of us, I mean, it makes sense that we would have conflict with other people because each of us approaches the world with unique perspective Mm -hmm. based on the lessons that life has taught us as individuals. Um, Those Lessons are as individual as our, our DNA. Uh, our, it, our family of origin plays into that. The, the very particular roads that we've traveled through our life. How can we expect to agree on matters of importance when we bring such divergent histories to the table? Mm-hmm. I feel like I had that conversation with someone at work today. That's not relevant. Carry on. Okay. Great. Um, so... We, Even those of us who call ourselves Christians and who attempt to base our important decisions on the Bible, even we disagree a lot of the time. And if you don't think so, just count how many distinct Christian churches you pass on your way to work tomorrow and explain that to yourself. Yeah. The Apostle James talks in chapter 3 of his book about the difference between the low road, uh, I'm calling it the low road, which is earthly wisdom, and the high road which he calls the wisdom that comes from heaven. So what am I talking about here? Earthly wisdom is wisdom that's rooted in pride and personal agenda, Mm -hmm. right? It's all about what works for me. 
Um, but when we call on heaven's wisdom, which is pure, we're more concerned with listening uh, and learning than we are with winning. We're more interested in what is right than who is right. We try to understand the lessons that others bring to the disagreement, and we're willing to learn more about every perspective offered. Sometimes it means being less sure of what we've always been so sure about. I, I once heard a speaker say, everyone you know knows something you don't know. At. I think that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Because when we recognize that someone's life experience has shed light on a situation that I don't have, I haven't had that experience, so I don't have that light, then I, that, that helps to tug down the defenses that I have. And, and that f those defenses that seem to form so automatically when, whenever our opinion is challenged. A few years back, I had to wade through several complicated and heartbreaking conflicts. It was a season of profound loss in my life. It was I'd lost two family members in, in quick succession. And I had to deal with, um, in the midst of that grief, the complexity of other people's hurt feelings, indignation, righteous or not, and positions on an issue that made absolutely no sense to me. I was very tempted to just retreat into my shell and waddle back to the swamp that I came from. <laughs> uh, you don't know this, but I refer to myself as a swamp witch all the time. Or swamp hag, excuse me. A swamp hag. That's me. so attractive. I used to be a mermaid, but now I'm 28, so I've grown into a swamp hag. <laughs> Carry on. I don't think so. Uh, well, my reference was, you know, retreating into my shell, turtle. Yeah. You know, you Do turtles live in a swamp? Well, they live in water, maybe not a swamp. <laughs> Pond. Was that? Wow. <laughs> that was such a buddy trail that was not relevant. Anyway, um, human wisdom told me that I held the high ground, so I shouldn't have to defend it. Human wisdom insisted that I didn't need those kinds of people in my life. That in my fragile state, I could justify just saying, hey, I'm better off investing my energy in healing relationships and, and with those uh, just right people who don't understand my heart out of this chapter of my life. It, it really seems much easier to avoid conflict than to engage with it, right? But avoiding conflict is not what it means to be the body of Christ. Being in the body means we remain connected. We help each other grow and be better. We have a responsibility to each other. And besides that, I've learned the hard way <laughs> that avoiders, people who avoid conflict, often become attackers when the unresolved conflict they're pretending not to care about becomes impossible for them to ignore. Thankfully, before I became an attacker, God prompted me through Jesus' half-brother, James, to engage the conflict, even at a time when I felt so emotionally fragile. In, in chapter 3 of James, verse 17 and 18, he wrote, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. 
Now, I think we should read this again because in in the message this time, that was, I believe, the New Living Translation, um, because the message helps define some of those words that James used. Do you want want to read the version from the message? Sure. Also, uh, I'm getting a lot of static in the headphones, and I'm hoping it's just the headphones. Um, But if it is coming through on the audio feed, I apologize. I can't quite figure out where it's coming from. So uh, do bear with us. Hopefully it goes away. Anyway, scripture. Uh, Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Yeah, so sometimes getting along with other people is hard work. <laughs> sometimes? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, sometimes harder than others, I guess. You can put it that way. Sometimes it's easy. Um, but knowing what these words from James and many other scriptures say, in that situation I was in, I had to ask myself a question. After the bruising Jesus took to his heart and his body to reconcile me to himself, how could I ever think it was okay to not, as it says in Romans, do all you can to live in peace with everyone? It's not okay. Heaven's wisdom insists that I be a peacemaker. I was required to enter the danger zone of conflict and painful emotions in order to plant peace. And it was hard. It was very hard. I shed tears. I endured intestinal rebellion. I endured interrupted sleep. But I did plant those seeds. I took responsibility for the portion of the relational damage I'd caused, even though it was certainly unintentional. I asked questions about how to better navigate the relationships involved. I listened to other perspectives on my choices and behavior, sometimes delivered at a very high volume (laughs) Mm. when I was feeling very vulnerable. And in in some cases, I wasn't forgiven or asked uh, for forgiveness right away. It took time for those seeds to germinate. But restored relationships eventually resulted in all but one of those cases where I initially thought my efforts were all for nothing. It was costly to humble myself and obey God, for sure. And it is worth saying, and maybe you'll go into this later, that that person has reached out to you recently. Not quite with asking for forgiveness, but... Well, actually, she did. Did she? Mm-hmm. Well, that's she good. Did. Yep. Yep. So and that- gave you a little bit more... Uh, Context. Yeah, context, so that you were able to ask for uh, her forgiveness more specifically as well. Yeah, which is good. Exactly, yeah. I don't like conflict. Uh, I'm not not terrified of it, but I don't like it. And I I don't think very many people do. But there are some. I mean, I remember your dad used to invite, you know, people like door-to-door vacuum salesmen um, in the house just so that he could argue with them. You know, like... Doesn't he have high blood pressure? Like, shouldn't you not be doing these things, <laughs> Father? Well, we haven't done it for years, but he I mean, actually I used to do this because... Did he have children yet because, at that point? No. Okay, there you go. Because he just enjoyed 
you know, challenging their, <laughs> their logic and their physics and things. And then and he had a child, not me, uh, who didn't care about logic and would argue completely illogically sometimes. That's true. And then he did. stopped doing it. <laughs> but when this went on, I would just want to go hide in the pantry. No, you know, I did not want to be part Get of this of at here. all. So do you try to avoid conflict? Yeah, I mean, I think as much as anybody else. Um, but I like to think that when it does, if I have a problem, I typically, I'm eh, seven times out of ten, do something about it. I wouldn't consider, I mean, I would consider conflict. I wouldn't consider it confrontation um, because I try to come at it very carefully and sensibly and sensitively. Mm-hmm. Um but I also try to get to the point where it doesn't feel like conflict. It feels like... I use the term call-in. Hmm. People say people talk about call-out culture a lot, which is, can be quite toxic and, um, and demeaning. A call-in is sensitively giving someone information that they may not have had so that they can be better going forward. Like, um, every so often... Um, one of us will use a word that has a problematic history, mm-hmm. you and I, and the other will, I would say, call in. Like, I don't know that you realize the history behind that word. Right, or I don't think you should I use don't, that. Yeah, word. yeah. Or I, I, uh, a coworker, someone at work that I quite like the other day used the R word um, uh, for a mentally disabled person. Ah. Yeah. Um, that's not what they were describing, but that's the word that they used. And I said, I'm, could you not use that word? I really don't like that word. And she immediately was like, you know what? I never do. And as soon as I said it, I was so embarrassed. Hmm. So it's about not attacking the person. And I got on my soapbox somewhere along the way here. But uh, I don't think I run from conflict, but I certainly don't like it. So have you ever become an attacker? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Of course I have. I'm very passionate, and sometimes when I think someone is being purposefully hurtful or obtuse, I do not hesitate to uh, attack them. And usually when I don't feel threatened, but I feel that marginalized people or underdogs or or what have Mm -hmm. you are being threatened. I I really jumped on someone... earlier this week on a Facebook post in a, in a local community group, uh, and they had a lot to say about masks and whether restaurants that don't enforce mask laws, mask bylaws here, should be um, reported. And I had some choice words for him. I made some accusations about whether or not he cares about human lives, which I don't necessarily... <laughs> I don't necessarily or disagree with those statements I made, but they certainly weren't spoken in love. Hmm. Okay. So, yes. So... Is the answer? Maybe one should wait 20 minutes and reread one's social media post before hitting send. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Often, I find that attackers are avoiders who can't avoid the conflict anymore, or the internal pressure builds up to the point that they blow up. Mm-hmm. So, avoid or attack, just for the record, aren't like a fight-or-flight response, where we kind of are pre-programmed to do one or the other. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's not the same thing. The words avoid and attack describe common responses to conflict in a way that reflects our humanness. 
But we're also moral beings created in the image of God with the capacity to choose how we'll respond to conflict, especially if we have a relationship with Jesus and know his love and forgiveness. We get to choose whether to avoid or attack, but we can also choose a peacemaking response. So let's just talk for a minute about the difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers. One is passive, one is active. Mm. So what this brings to my mind is um, I read the book Shake Hands with the Devil, Mm -hmm. which is the story of General Romeo Dallaire, who was the Canadian general appointed to uh, oversee the peacekeeping mission in Rwanda Mm -hmm. during the genocide. Um, the same, um, he's sort of the, the Nick Nolte character in the, the movie Hotel Rwanda, if you've mm-hmm. seen that. Yep. Um, and by the way, people from Rwanda don't say Rwanda, they say Rwanda. I just thought that was, I learned that last year when we were in Senegal and we met people from Rwanda. Sure. They think it's really weird that we all call it Rwanda. <laughs> There's a anyway. W in there. That's how, it's pretty, that's how English pronounces that letter. That's how we do it. Um, so... Um, in that conflict, General Dallaire was almost driven to madness because he was not allowed to prevent any killing. He was only there to witness it. Mm-hmm. They were peacekeepers. They were not peacemakers. They weren't ever allowed to raise a, uh, to, to um, shoot a gun, um, to, you know, spare the lives of people. And it just, it literally almost drove him to madness. Yeah. I, I think... It would be fair to say he has had some some madness as severe, a result yeah. of, of that. Definitely some severe post-traumatic stress. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Um, so um, that's the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. One is passive, one is active. Mm-hmm. Um, peacekeepers passively observe. The action that peacemakers take is either to intentionally overlook conflict or to engage it. Mm-hmm. So what does overlooking it look like? Uh, I think it would be like choosing whether this is the hill you're going to die on. Um, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think deciding, okay, so some things are true issues, and before anyone can move forward healthily, we need to address them. Mm -hmm. And some are like, I don't like this, but we can proceed without coming to an agreement on this. Yeah, and so it's really not denial at all. No. Like, denial is refusing to acknowledge and respond to an offense. Mm Mm-hmm. Overlooking is when you recognize you've been offended and make you make an intentional decision to forgive the offense without even engaging it. Hmm. So it, it might be how we would respond to some hurt that was quite small yeah. or unintentional. Mm-hmm. I have a dear, 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 dear friend who um, learned something about me and made an assumption um, of the way things were in our mar- in my marriage and um, made a comment that it's just sort of a throwaway comment that really was pretty offensive mm-hmm. and wasn't true at all. But I love her and I know it wasn't her heart to hurt me. And so I just let it go. Let it go. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and I, I don't harbor that against her anymore. I mean, I remember it, but yeah. I don't harbor it against her anymore because I knew it totally wasn't meant to be offensive. So, um, that is an example of just uh, overlooking. 
an offense. In denial, you might think, well, that's okay, I wasn't offended, when in fact you were offended and had every reason to be offended. In overlooking, you might think, that's not okay, that was wrong, but it was a minor offense, and so I choose to forgive the offender. Overlooking becomes denial when we're unable to forgive and refuse to do the work of lovingly confronting someone when an offense is too serious to overlook or or we're concerned it might be repeated. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how can anyone transition from sort of the avoidance stage to peacemaking? Because I know a lot of people really, really dread confrontation. It's really like paralyzing. So what are some practical steps people can take? Well, I guess you have to ask yourself, what's more important to me here? Obeying God and remaining in close relationship with him or my personal comfort? Like what's more powerful to me, God or my fear? And it's it's also helpful to remember that your job in confrontation is just to humbly speak the truth in love. We're not responsible for the outcome. Yeah. Only God can change people. We can only do our own part. Do you have thoughts on that? Uh, I'm kind of just percolating on it because the only God can change people part and they're like, it's not our responsibility to change their mind. Um, But maybe it's our responsibility to get the ball rolling or present the facts or or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Um, That's a really fascinating way to look at it that I haven't looked at it that way before, but I can certainly see it like shaping the way I proceed. That's very helpful. That's really the only thoughts I have. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I got you. Okay. It's it's totally, I want everybody to realize it's totally normal to hate conflict. Mm-hmm. We love to live our lives without having to wade into it. But we can't overlook God's instructions. We can't ignore God's instructions and, and expect to enjoy his blessings on our lives and on our relationships. And in a sense... Jesus' reputation depends on our willingness to plant seeds of peace, right? He said that people outside of the faith would know that we are Jesus' followers by the love that we have for each other. Mm -hmm. If communities and families of faith are full of conflict and division, we're not making Jesus seem very attractive, are we? (laughs) No. I heard somebody say, you know, no wonder people don't like Jesus. His bride is so ugly. Yeah. are sometimes so employ the wisdom that comes from heaven the high road in your family in your church in your workplace and in all your relationships god promises that those who plant seeds of peace will reap a harvest of righteousness and i can tell you from personal experience that it's hard but it's really worth it uh we'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on this so Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And, of course, leave a comment. We're always uh, looking for your feedback and uh, looking to see how these strategies have made an impact on your life or if you have your own strategies to add. That'd be super helpful. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. So reach out to me on Facebook, Donna Carter. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's it for us today on Grow on the Go. Uh, yeah. We'll be back next week, as per usual. I don't even know why I said that. That's never something I say. (laughs) But you get the idea. I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter, inviting you to grow on the go. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.